Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Take your Bibles today and um, go, go to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, uh, we're going to be there uh, in just a moment. First couple of chapters, we're starting a new series called Sufficient, Unlocking the Mystery of God's Grace. So I'm going to, Romans chapter 3, let's start there. I want to read the text first and I'm going to kind of walk you through the, uh, the, the uh, opening here. It says, Romans 3 and 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've heard that. And all are freely, uh, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So grace is that word. We are justified freely by his grace. So this series, I mean, if you've heard a lot about grace, but you don't know a lot about grace, we're just going to try to maybe give some clear understanding what it is. We're going to walk through kind of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans and kind of unpack grace. We're going to talk about God's wrath and his judgment and the law and performance-based religion, and we're going to talk about all the big words, justified, sanctified, reconciled, uh, uh, all of those big words. We're going to kind of work through those and get an understanding of, of God's grace. Now, very early in my walk with God and in my ministry, I was just going through something, and I'll share that story a little later in this series, but I want you to know it was the message of Romans and the message of grace that really liberated me. It really had a transformational part of my, of, of my walk with God. So I don't want you to underestimate going, oh, okay, well, we, I've kind of heard some of this stuff before. We want to get a real clear uh, understanding of what, of what this mysterious word is. If you're raised in church, you may know that grace is good, but you may not really grasp it or have a clear definition of, of what it is. Now, sometimes when we're born into a certain situation, uh, we are, you know, it is only, our only point of reference is where we are born. We don't, can't see, don't have the perspective to see, you know, any, anything else but just kind of our surroundings. So let me, and the same comes with grace. When you're born in the church and you're born with generations of sermons of grace, sometimes we have no point of reference of what our life was like, you know, before that. So just let me I'll just give you this illustration. So when I was was, was raised, uh, my, my dad was a coal miner. We were just kind of middle class, you know, had a two-story split-level home. Uh, you know, we weren't rich by any, you know, stretch of the imagination. We were just kind of getting by. I had a car. I showed it to you as a station wagon, nothing big. Uh, I had a TV in my room. It had three channels in it. And when you're a young person, if one of those channels are PBS, that's just a wasted channel right there. It's just wasted. You know, but we went on vacation. We had Christmas, that kind of thing. Just kind of going through, 
you know, life, always looking and wanting for a little more. A few years later, I, I had the opportunity to travel to Caracas, Venezuela. And um, one of the first visits that I made with my, the team when we got to Caracas is we went to the ghetto and the shanty towns of, of Caracas. And I had never seen anything like that before. I had never really, uh, I had never really come, you know, and, and seen poverty, never been up close, never met anyone who lived like that, never smelt the smells, you know, that, that I smelt. And I'm just telling you, I had this big, it had this big impact on me while, while I was in uh, Venezuela. We, we went in one of the homes of one of the church people, and the home itself was probably smaller than my office. You know, it's probably maybe 20 by 20 block building. All five members of the family lived there. I mean, I just couldn't believe, I just couldn't believe that people kind of lived like that. They gave us a meal, and it was just this little, you know, just this little kind of bowl of soup, and they barely had enough. I felt embarrassed, you know, really, really taking it, you know. Uh, their plumbing was, was outside. Man, I'd never been around anything like that. We, we go to a little food court, our team does one day, and, and children are begging for they're trying to get scraps off the concrete floor. I, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that. And I started to, to give them, you know, some money, some of, the, the, uh, some of those kids' money. And the missionary said, don't do that. He said, these children are beggars, but they have owners, they live on the streets, but they have owners that send them out to collect money and take the money back to the owners. The kids won't get it. One was blind. I said, I want to give to the blind one. He said, no, because they, they poke the eyes out of some of these kids because people are more compassionate. They give more money, and it just encourages cruelty to other children. I'm blown away. I'm absolutely blown away at, at, you know, at this experience. So I, I go back home. I go back home, and my whole life perspective was different, okay? Because I'm raised in affluence, but I didn't know that I was raised in middle-class American affluence. I never complained about my television again. I never complained about my, I never complained about my car. My, my brothers and sisters came to the table. There was plenty of food, split-level home. Because you see, I was born in affluence, but I had no point of reference to anything else. Until I saw something else, then it gave me appreciation for exactly what I had there. And I just want to say, I think that's the way it is sometimes when it comes to grace. We've been in church our whole life, okay? And we've been around grace, we've been exposed to grace, we've heard sermons about grace, but we've never really just kind of connected with grace. Sometimes we sing the song Amazing Grace, but it's really not amazing to us. It's just grace right now. It's just grace. Now, i got a little, little sentence that I want to put up on the screen for you. And teachers, I know that it's terrible. It's mangled. You can send your emails to me of correction. I get it. But you know what? It's my sermon. If I want to mangle a sentence, I can mangle it. All right, ready? Good news is just news until you hear the bad news and then it becomes good news, okay? Good news, it's just news. That's just kind of where some of us are at. It's just grace. It's just news 
until you kind of have a different perspective, till you hear the, the bad news, and then your perspective changes, then it becomes, it becomes good news, okay? So some are just singing grace, but it's really amazing, but you don't even really have that perspective. So that's where the book of Romans starts telling us about the bad news, building to a definition of the good news of grace, but you can't really grasp it till you kind of know the bad news, so that's where we're at. How many is ready for a little bad news this morning, all right? You ready? All right, Romans chapter 1. He starts this, he starts this out. He's writing a letter. He's being kind. How are you doing? It's good to see you. I'd love to come to Rome sometime. How many of you would love to come to Rome sometime? I'd love to, love to do it. Verse 18, he's had enough of the niceties, okay? He's warmed up enough, and here's what he starts to talk about. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made so that people are without excuse. So before you have the picture of grace that we walk in, you got to understand the season of wrath and God's anger that, that we were in initially. Now this passage tells us why God is angry. Okay, let's kind of work through this passage. Number one, it says godlessness. So as he looked on humanity, he saw no evidence of goodness or of God at all. It says wickedness. Why is he angry? Sin, violence, theft. Why is he angry? Going back to that passage, people were knowing and suppressing the truth. So they knew some of this was true, but they were suppressing it, ignoring it, so that they could walk in their wickedness. And I want to tell you, some of that happens today. People know the truth. They know the way, but they suppress it so that they can walk in their wickedness, all right? Also, two times in this passage, it is mentioned that the clarity of God's existence has been revealed to them. So he's just letting you, he's just saying, hey, this was made plain to them through creation, through the wonder and beauty of creation, and then also through God's power, human intelligence and the knowledge and the consciousness of God. He said, I'm making this plain to them. And then he closes this passage and reminds us that we are without excuse. That it's been made clear. It was made clear. This gospel was made clear. Now, no one is without excuse. All right? Now, here's a question. Is it okay for God to be angry? Now, some people who are critics of faith, they use this against God, his character, and his nature. So, is it okay for God to be angry? All right, His anger is not an outburst or a fit of rage, but growing disappointment at our disobedience. Okay, His anger is not an outburst, a fit of rage, but growing disappointment at our disobedience. So that people think that God is eternally in a bad mood, that He's just a grouch, that He's looking around. He's just ready to, to hit you for any, any error that you've made. He's got a stick and he's just going to let you have it. You're wrong. 
God is just not perpetually angry. That's not the character and the nature of God. He's angry at our disobedience, okay? His anger is against sin, iniquity, and brokenness, immorality, and violence, okay? That's why he is angry at creation, okay? Now, I think you understand this on some levels, and I'll, I'll give you an illustration. I was driving down the road a couple months ago. I was about 20 yards away. There was this couple walking on the side of the road. It was a man and woman, probably about 20 yards away, driving toward them. And he rears back and hits her in the back of the head, this little framed woman. She lurched forward, almost hit the ground. Her hair, you know, just like, and just flew everywhere. I'm, I'm stunned. I, I can't believe it. I drive past them. I look in the rearview mirror. I stop. Just like, what, what's going on? And then, man, I just, I just got, I just got angry, okay? I just got mad. I backed up. Turned back around, got my phone out, dialed 911. I went up with my phone. I rolled down the window. I said, ma'am, are you okay? And he said something to me. I said, I'm not talking to you. I can't believe I said it like that. <laughs> and, and, and she was embarrassed. She said, no, no, I'm good. I said, ma'am, I got the phone right here. I'll, I'll call the police. We'll, we'll take care of this right now. Are you hurt? Do you want an ambulance? Are you okay? And she's just really down, you know, just embarrassed. And she said, no, I'm, I'm okay. I said, well, ma'am, I'll call the police right now. And she said, no, uh, it would just make things work. And I pointed over to the church. I said, I work right over here. You know, if you, if you need me, I'm the pastor. You come, you come get me. I drove away. I mean, I'm shaking. I'm so mad, okay? So when we go... Is it, okay to be God, is, is it okay for God to be angry? Well, you would feel angry too at violence and disobedience. And that's the, way God, that's the way God feels. He's just not perpetually angry at creation. He loves creation, but he is angry with our sin and our, and our disobedience. So he, he sees this and he tries to help us. He's tried to help humanity. So I'm, I'm giving you the before so that you can understand the, I'm giving you the darkness so that you can understand the grace. So he, he's tried to help us become better, become more godly. So this world before grace, he started with conscience, conscience and law. In Genesis, the only thing restraining them was conscience, all right? He put his word, he made, it, he made his presence real in creation. He put you know, his laws, you know, in their heart. There was no Bible. There was no church. There was no sermon. There was no police. There was no law. In the time of Genesis, uh, it was only the conscience that was restraining people, but that wasn't working. People were getting more and more evil, even to the point, you know, by, the, by Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, God is angry. He's got Noah building a boat. He's so upset with the the... The, uh, humanity, it says, the Lord saw the wickedness of the human race and that every inclination and the thoughts of the human heart were only on evil all the time and the Lord regretted that he made the human race. So the, 
they were going by conscience, the right and wrong. It was the conscience that was restraining them, but it wasn't really working. Now, it wasn't a total failure because you can look at Genesis. There were some godly people that came out of that, Abraham and, and, and Joseph. And there was a godly remnant that were paying attention to God and were listening, listening to God's voice, and they were listening to their conscience. But that wasn't working well. So then in Exodus, you turn the page and you got the law. The Ten Commandments are coming to the rescue. This is going to help us. This is going to turn it around. The law of God, it's going to make people holy and, and righteous. So the Ten Commandments, they were spiritual in nature, but they were also civil. The Ten Commandments were like a teacher. For the first time, there was a written code for people to know what was right and wrong. It was no longer the conscience of the heart, but now it was a written, it was a, a, a written code and started to give definition to right or wrong. Okay? So for the first time, people kind of kind of knew. Paul said it this way. He said, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had said, you shall not covet. So the law was teaching people. The law was teaching people. You know, the conscience did so much, but the law was teaching people, but that was all it was doing, okay? That was all that was, you know, it was just showing them uh, right or wrong, but it did not, you know, kind of help them to live out, you know, to live out uh, God's plan. So even with the law, it gets worse, People are getting progressively worse. Romans 1.21, I just want to read these really quick. Although they knew God, once again, they knew Him. They neither glorified God or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So this is getting progressively worse. It's not getting better with conscience in the law. This is getting better. Therefore God, in verse 24, gave them over to their sinful desires and their hearts to sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies to one another. So He let them walk in the way that they wanted to go. He let them follow their hearts and their desires. Verse 28 look at this it gets worse furthermore just as they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God so God gave them over to a depraved mind let them walk in that path um, they, they become filled with every kind of wickedness evil greed depravity they are full of envy murder strife deceit and malice they are gossip slanderers God haters insolent arrogant boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding of fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew God's righteous decree, those who do such things deserve death. Okay? So, man, this, this thing, instead of the law and the conscience producing righteousness and we're becoming more godly, in actuality, man, we're becoming more darker. There was always this remnant, but we were becoming uh, we were growing, it was, you know, our, our, we were not becoming more godly. We were growing darker, all right, to the point where God says, okay, all right, that's it. So we've gone from God's wrath and his anger. Now, Paul, as he's painting the picture of the bad, before we get to the understanding of the good, so that you can really sing Amazing Grace, all right, now we have God's judgment, okay? We have now... There's, a, there's an accountability. Do you, do you know, you know, there, there, there's a point that you come, and, and we saw this in God where God was merciful, but now he just says, okay, wow, all right, I'm, I'm done. There's a day of accountability coming. Romans 2.5, look at this. 
Because of the stubbornness in your unrepentant heart, because of your stubbornness in your unrepentant heart, you were storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Okay? So now, now there's a day of accountability coming. Okay? Our sins are just piling up and the Lord, we, we're not showing any kind of signs toward godliness. And now there's a day of accountability coming. You ever done that as a parent? Ever done that as a parent? You know, like, I learned, I learned my father does not believe in the passage, his mercies are new every morning, okay? <clears throat> because he, he's a merciful guy, but then there would just be a point where that's it, that's it. And he, I knew it was it because he would say, go get my belt, go get my belt. The day of accountability is here, okay? And I was raised in the disco era when the belts were much wider than they were now. And the belt-to-flesh ratio was much bigger than it is now. It was much more painful. Plus, we didn't have 911 or social workers, that's all I'm saying. So, uh, so the day of accountability, that's what it came. That's what God says. Okay, now you're going to give account for your sins. Your sins are piling up. You know, now there's going to be eternity lost without God if that's your choice. There's going to be a final judgment where you, you stand before God, you know, and, and give account for your sins. And here's what he gives a picture of what this day is going to look like. In the book of Revelations 20, it says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before the throne and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And each person was judged according to what they'd done. Any, anyone's name who was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. Wow. There's a, there's a time of judgment that's coming. Second Corinthians says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may receive what is due us, uh, the things while in the body, whether good or bad. So there's a day of accounting coming on. He's tried with conscience. He tried with the law. We progressed. And now, man, at the end of this life, at the end of your life, there is a day of accounting that's coming from everyone that we stand before God. But in this time, man, it was really dark. It was really dark. All the, the scriptures teach that there will be a final judgment. All will be judged for their sins, given over to eternal punishment, unless they've accepted God's free pardon from sin. Everybody stands before God. Everybody. Now listen, here's another criti you know, critique of, of God and his character. Why does a merciful, loving God punish his creation? Why does a merciful, loving God punish his creation? Okay? Now it's funny to me that this is always phrased at God, you know, even though we as parents, there's a day of accountability, right? I mean, there's just a day... All right, you gotta, you got to pay for what you're doing. Even with our government, you know? Our government, no, there's only so far you go and then you pay, you know, you pay for that. So, so it's kind of a strange logic here, but let me just say, God does not give punishment without the choice. 
There is a choice. There is an opportunity. There always has been. From the Garden of Eden to today, there has always been a choice for people to lean toward and turn toward righteousness. It is a choice. The cross is for everyone. Grace is for everyone. Eternal punishment is for those who, who make the choice to go. Some people use this and they put God on trial like the phrasing of that question. Why would a loving God do that? But actually it's not God that's on trial. It's you and I that are on trial for our iniquity and our sin and our, and our disobedience. So, so why does God do that? It's not, he's, he's provided a way for everyone. Okay, He's provided the way. Punishment is designed as a deterrent, not a method of cruelty. He wants you to hear and go, no. Mm -mm. There was one thing that got my grades up, knowing that that belt was at the end of my six weeks. Okay? So sometimes the, deterrent, sometimes the punishment became a deterrent. Okay? So and we're, we're in a darkened place here. We're, we've got judgment, and there's no answer for a judgment. God says, I'm going to call you to judgment. Okay? I'm angry, I'm upset with your disobedience, okay? Because you never really can grasp grace till you really understand the darkness of where, of where we were at in humanity. So now, let's talk about grace just a little bit, all right? Go back to Romans 3, the, very, the original text. I kind of want to work through that slowly here, okay? Now, but now, apart from the law, the Ten Commandments, trying to live by the Ten Commandments that was futile, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between anyone. For all have sinned and come and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace. There's that word again. And all everyone are justified freely by his grace through the redemption of that came by Christ Jesus so let's look back at this side let's get a better understanding of what of what grace is now let me just tell you something the fix was in from the very beginning when God saw our darkness when God saw the dark progression of humanity when God sees the dark you know the, the 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 darkness of maybe that's occurring in your life he already had a plan the father the son the holy spirit have been conspiring to bring salvation to bring grace to you the enemy conspired as well but the but the the father and the son and the holy spirit had a plan that we were not just doomed to darkness doomed to judgment, men, but there was a rescue plan that God had on our behalf. So God started, you know, with consciousness and our, our, the conscience, and God started with the law, but man, it worked itself into wrath and anger and judgment, and now we live, we are justified freely by His grace, okay? Now grace, let's kind of unpack that. So when we talk about grace, we know it's good, right? It's a good word, but we just kind of have this fuzzy definition of what grace is. I really want to unpack that so we can really sing about God's amazing grace. So grace is an act of God's love and mercy. Karma is you get what you deserve. That's karma, okay? 
Grace says you get what you don't deserve. Okay? You don't deserve grace. Grace is an act of God's love and mercy. He says in Psalms, He does not treat us as our sins uh, deserve. Isn't that good? Okay? We get mercy. We don't get merit. So we get something else instead of, you know, out of God's love and out of his mercy for us. We don't get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve. That's grace. Grace is an act of God's love and mercy. Grace draws you and makes you aware of God's love. So here's how grace works in your life. So it draws you. Grace is the initial part that knocks on your heart door. Grace is that initial thinking, that initial awareness about God. It's that, it's that nagging, persistent thought, you know, like sometimes you're going, why am I thinking about God? Why, why am I thinking about church? Let me just tell you, that's, that's grace. Some of you are going, what, what's happening? I'm not a religious person. Why are, why are my thoughts on on God, why am, I, why am I thinking about this thing? Listen, because grace draws you and makes you aware of God and his love. Grace is the first knock on the door. Grace awakens you. Grace knocks on the door. And it is grace that is rescuing you. Listen, it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing, what you have done in your past. You have not done anything that grace won't find you and that grace won't draw you to tell you about God and to make you aware about His love. Grace is trying to rescue you. So grace draws Grace reveals. Grace reveals God's gift of salvation. So grace starts with the initial awareness about God and His love. And then grace reveals the gift of salvation. Sometimes it's a song. Sometimes it's a sermon. Sometimes it's circumstance. You don't have to be a scholar. You know, and let me just say this. It's not... When grace knocks on your door and he's revealing God's plan of salvation, it's not like a theological download. Boom, now I can speak Greek. I understand it all. It's not like that. It's like when a kid comes up to Bo and says, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. In a very simple and small level, God has revealed the gift of God's salvation. There's a time, there's a time. He's knocking on your heart's door. He's making, this is grace. He's drawing you initially, letting you know that God loves you. Then when you take that next step and you open that door, then, then it's the plan of salvation that God reveals. Now, he might take a sermon. He might take something that you've read. He might take something in your mind, or he might just reveal out of the Holy Spirit like he does to a child, that, that he loves you, okay? And then he starts to let you know about the work that Jesus did on the cross. So this is not just an awareness of God, but he's reeling, he's revealing God's salvation plan about the cross of Jesus and about your, about your sin. He's revealing that to you. Grace draws. Grace reveals, okay? Grace transforms your heart. Grace transforms your heart. This is different from the law. The law just said, don't do it. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But there was, 
There was no heart change at all. That's why the law was a a frustration to some because they were not empowered to live by, by by the law of God. But grace doesn't do that. Grace just doesn't point out. Grace transforms the heart. You may feel like, I can never change. I can never do this. I've tried before. I've tried to turn over a new leaf. I've tried to change. But I want you to know, it is not about your individual effort. It's not about how hard you try. This is a work of grace that comes in your heart. And it transforms your heart. You're a new person. There's nothing you can do. You cannot do anything. This is a God moment where grace transforms your heart. Look at what Paul said. The law of Moses was unable to save us. He talks about the law. Was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like bodies we sinners have. And in that body... God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for the sin. So he acknowledges there's a limitation. There's a limitation what the law can do, but there's no limitation to the transformation that comes to the heart. He's not going to just say, live by this word. He says, you know, when grace uh, draws you and grace reveals, there's going to be a moment that grace is going to transform and that you're going to be a new creation, not just on a document, but in your heart because grace transforms. Grace transforms how you talk, how you think, how you act, your mind, your heart. Things can be different because of grace. Grace draws. Grace, this is going to be a test, so you better remember these, and I'm going to give you these every week, all right? Grace draws. Grace reveals. Grace transforms. Grace cleanses. It cleanses. We do things sometimes in our life that we feel guilty about, that we're embarrassed, we're ashamed. Skeletons in the closet. Certain things, when you think about it, you just hang your head in shame. Hurt people. But grace cleanses. Grace cleanses. All right? It's like if you put your clothes in the washing machine and you just put it in there with water. You're just swapping dirt around. Just swapping dirt around. But there's a cleansing agent called Tide. And I wanted to just, you know, I'm tying it all together. All together. You put it in there because Tide is the cleansing agent. If you don't have the cleansing agent in there, then all you're doing is just swapping around your dirt. Okay? Some of you live with guilt. You live with shame. You live with embarrassment. But I'm just telling you, There's a point when God, when grace is working, when it's drawing, revealing, you know, when grace is transforming, there's a a moment where grace cleanses. Where grace cleanses. And Isaiah, he says it like this, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And there's some of you that are just, you're so held bound by, by, by guilt and shame. I'm just telling you when grace works its work in your life, there is a cleansing that can come in you. Man, there's, that shame is gone. That guilt is gone. You'll always remember what happened in the past, but you'll let the Lord have that and you won't walk with that guilt anymore. 
Because that's what grace does. That's what grace. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white like wool. Grace forgives. Grace forgives. There's a forgiving agent. Grace draws. Grace reveals. Grace transforms. Grace cleanses. There's a cleansing. Grace forgives. Grace forgives. Bad choices, stupid mistakes, done things you knew better. Anybody there? Anybody? Anybody? Yes, that was just me, but you know. You know, he forgives. He forgives. Some people, they, 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 they let God work to a point that, man, they just, they, they have trouble releasing that. Listen, I just want to remind you, here's what Paul says about grace, all right? That when your sin increases, grace increases all the more. So it doesn't matter how big your sin is. Because grace is much more, and grace is, is more encompassing. When your sin is bad, grace is greater. When sin hurt others, grace is sufficient. Grace forgives our sin. And the psalmist says it's done like this. It's thrown as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you anymore. What you have done, God forgives, and he lets you write a new chapter in your life because grace forgives. Grace forgives. It's like on your computer, you delete it. But where does it go once you delete it? Goes in the trash. And then, you know what God does? Takes that trash and hits delete. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Grace declares, worship team, you can come. Grace declares, you innocent of all the charges. Romans 3 Romans 3 said, you are justified freely by his grace. You're justified freely. Justified is a legal term they used back then that we don't use really today. We use the term not guilty. We use the term not guilty, okay? That's the legal term that we use. Back then they said justified, okay? So we are all made not guilty freely by his grace, okay? That's what he says. All right, so it's like, it's like this. It's like the jury foreman against the, the trial against you for your sin. The jury foreman is about to render the verdict, okay? And he would say something like, in the trial of Whit Sasser and all of the sin and darkness of his life, Whit has confessed to everything. But this court, the opinion of this court is that Whit Sasser stands not guilty of all the charges. It's a public declaration to everyone. It's the period that God puts at the end of the sentence. He lets everyone know it's the legal, you know, it's the legal pronouncement that grace has had its work, grace draws grace I went blank man I was on a roll too I knew I should grace draws 
reveals. She's got it written. Grace transforms. Grace cleanses. Grace, grace forgives. And now grace is making the ultimate declaration that you're a new person, that, the, that everything that has been put against you, that the enemy's put in your life, that the enemy, he's now saying he's not guilty. He's not guilty. He's not guilty because we've been freely made not guilty because of his grace. Because of his grace. Long time ago, John Newton lived in the 1700s. What a great story. Raised in church. His mama made him go to church. Anybody's mama made you go to church? Yeah. Raised up in the church. But it just didn't sit with him. It didn't resonate with him. As he got older, he got involved in the slave, the slave trade. He was on the ships when they would go to Africa. They would pick up the slaves and they would put them in chains. And they would chain them to the boat. They would bring them over. They would be on the boat for weeks and weeks with these slaves. And, and sell them. And man, just his heart just became more and more dark. The abuse, the cruel abuse to those slaves that he saw as subhuman in his life. They even wrote that he was, he was one of the most profane men. Had a dirty mouth, filthy mouth. One guy even said about John Newton, we accused him of even making up curse words. He was just fluent in profanity. His heart was just dark. It was just dark. And then... His cruelty is well known. You know, one biographer said that John Newton even took a crying baby slave, about crying baby of a slave, and just bashed its head on the floor because he was crying. And it woke him up. That's how dark he was. Hey, storm comes. Man, it shakes him to the core. He realized he wasn't ready to meet God. He realized he wasn't ready to meet God. All of the sin and the darkness of his life would come in because when grace reveals, that's part of that, that revealing, the darkness of our heart, their sins, the need of transformation. And on that ship off the coast of County Clare in Ireland, Ireland that was rocking back and forth on that ship, John Newton bows his knee, gives his heart to Christ, and I mean, he had an experience with God. Grace draws, grace reveals. I said sometimes on that revealing, it's circumstance. Sometimes it's, that, it's a circumstance that happens that makes this thing about grace begin to click. Gives his heart to the Lord, gets off the boat. A few years later, he had this melody on his heart. And he penned the words, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Say the last sentence with me. Was blind, but now I see. Hey, grace is wonderful. Grace, let me tell you, I don't want you to go through life just thinking grace is grace. It's amazing grace. Sometimes you got to know the bad part before you really 
you really embrace you really embrace the good in a moment we're just gonna sing a song of worship we're gonna sing a song of worship would you bow your heads with me just for just for a moment just for a moment just want to talk to you for a second or if you're here today if you're here today and you're just one of those man there's guilt shame you just kind of been on your way kind of doing your life living your own way just doing your own thing but yet for some reason somehow you felt this nagging kind of uh, questioning you know like why is why why am I having these thoughts where is that's coming I'm just telling you it's grace it's God's grace he's knocking on your door God doesn't stand with a stick he stands with a hand he doesn't come to beat you down. He comes to lift you up. He's not here to condemn you to eternal damnation, but he's provided a way that every man, every woman can know the goodness of grace of God and walk as a child of God. And if you're here today, if you're online, hey, I'm not where I should be. I'm not living the way I should, but this morning, man, I want to I give grace a chance to work in my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You just raise your hand up and down. Just say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm just not where I should be in my walk with the Lord. I'm just not where I, not where I should be. Yeah, I see that. I'm just not just struggling with guilt, struggling with shame, struggling. I just need God to cleanse. I need there to be a work of God in my heart. Just raise your hand up and down. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Online, if that's you that's you. Just let us know. Say, pray for me. Would you stand? Brent, just lead us in a worship, time of worship this morning. I'll come back in just a moment. the screen this morning they put a prayer up on the screen that I want us to pray this morning listen if God's been dealing with you God's been knocking at your at your at your heart God's kind of been revealing his plan you've had these mysterious thoughts where are they coming from that's the, that's grace 
that's grace. That's grace. Some of you feel maybe kind of distant, kind of dark in your heart. That's the end result. That's the, the result of sin and iniquity. But grace has an answer for that. If you feel separated, if you feel divided, if you feel distant, it's grace that draws you. Grace reveals there's nothing that you've done that can separate you from God's love this morning. I got this prayer up on the screen, and I want to just lead this prayer this morning. I'm just going to pray this prayer. And if that's you, I want you to pray that prayer this morning. It says, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I mean, if that's, that's the prayer. That's the prayer right there. If you prayed that, if you said that, man, that's, that's opening your heart up and letting grace work in your heart. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm seeing what God's done in your life. And listen, at the end of the service, I'm going to be down here at the front. I want to I talk to you. I want to talk to you, okay? I love grace. It is amazing. It is amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable the work of grace that God can do in our heart. Can you give the Lord a shout of praise this morning? Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We... Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.